Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. There we go. That's what we like to hear. And welcome back to the show. Today, a change of pace. We have decided to do an email show. I fought it, didn't I? I fought doing an email show. That's why we did a question and answer show. Mm -hmm. Because I do like having some time off over summer, which means not doing as many notes. But I've ended up doing just as many. Because I've, I've ended up appearing on other things <laughs> and the next two episodes are going to be quite intensive but it's better to do that kind of thing when you're off well for the past two weeks we haven't done anything all the week before that did you haven't well neither of you I have I've been doing all of that what about, right on this show yes our show yes we're not talking about your whoring endeavours <laughs> my whoring endeavours well for the past three weeks any time we've ever done work on a show was last week I've not. I've done it every day, haven't I? I've wrote the scripts for the next two episodes already. That we've recorded? No. For the next two episodes that we've not I'm yet recorded. About what we've already recorded. What we've already done. We haven't done any work for this one. No, we've only had to copy and paste for this All one. All the questions. Oh no, I, I did an hour's worth of writing for this one. Okay. For reasons that will come obvious as we go along. But yeah, we have had a bit of time off. It hasn't been as... If, your mum's looking at me as if it, I've not noticed any difference. But, you know... It's the, so yeah, so I've thought doing an email show, but we're going to do one, because we just got that many emails over the past couple of weeks. I don't know what it was, I don't know whether it was Nightwing was particularly appealing to people, mm-hmm. or Days of Future Past, or whatever else we did. I can't remember what we did, Daredevil Yellow, but we just got a ton of emails. So if we don't address them all in one show, we're going to be doing next week. backlog emails for the next couple of weeks. And also, yeah, it gives us a bit more time off, doesn't it? But like I said last time, I don't know what I think of email shows. I honestly don't. I don't mind listening to them when other people do them. But there is a part of me that thinks, do other audience members find these boring because they're not on the show and you're not talking about comics? But on the other hand, you could end up talking about something you wouldn't necessarily have talked about that somebody brings up in their email. So it's pros and cons. Or on the other hand, you don't listen to it. Or on the other hand, you just don't listen to that episode yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're such a pragmatist. <laughs> uh, but it's not just going to be an email show. We're going to do our State of Comics address. Yeah. Aren't we? There's a shed ton of negativity at the minute, isn't there? From everybody and everyone. San Diego announces Batman Superman. Right. Andrew thinks, oh, that could be good. <laughs> Within five minutes, the internet is telling me not only... Is that not a good idea? Yeah. Well, that I'm an idiot for even thinking it could be an idea. Who was right, though? You or the internet? Well, I don't know, because not a frame of footage of this film exists. They've not even cast Batman yet. Oh, you mean the film. Yes, right. the film. So, you know, let's not be negative until we've got something to be negative about. Okay. Is my thinking. But whatever, you know. The internet's told me I'm wrong many, many times before. You know what I do? Go on. I ignore the internet. Nolan directs. 
Maybe you were wrong. No, he's not directing it. Unless you say that, Christopher Nolan didn't want the thing that happens at the end of Man of Steel to happen. I can't say what it is because Angela's here and she's not seen it yet. No, I don't. We can talk about it without giving it away. He didn't want that to happen. Warner Brothers didn't want that to happen. DC Comics said, yeah, go ahead, don't matter. (laughs) So there you go. So don't be ragging on Chris <laughs> Nolan for stuff that isn't his fault. Right. I will not defend the man for Dark Knight Rises, which was piss poor, mm. but at the bottom and end of the day, he still did Batman Begins, which was great. Yeah, but what happened at the end of the film made that film better. Do you think? Yes. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. We're not going to discuss it because your mum's not seen it. Maybe we should do a Man of Steel episode when Angela's seen it. Yeah. Because I would like your mum's Audio input. commentary. Because like, you, you don't like doing commentaries. I don't mind it. I sit there and watch a film. Yeah, you don't talk, though. That's the problem. <laughs> anyway, we're waffling, and we've got 17 pages of emails to get through. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to do our State of Comics address, where we talk about stuff we like about the current comics industry and not be overly negative. Because we yes. don't like that. Uh, I have edited some emails this week for time. I don't like doing that. But we've just had so many of them, I've not got a choice. And some people in the email do, so you can edit this if you want to. Anyway, the first email tonight is from Jay Ferguson. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Jay. Hello, Fergusons. Hello, Hello Angela's joining in with the email section. We always like it when you're here. Uh, happy birthday, Superman Parts 1 and 2, which is going back a while. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Jay said, I just heard your new opening credits, and I don't know how I feel about it. I really do like it, but I've grown to love the old one, so I already miss it. We've gone back to the old one, Jay, yes. as discussed last week. Nobody liked the new ones. Uh, the one that we spent a minute doing off the top of our head, yeah. off the cuff, pastiche of an old TV show, everyone loves that one. The one that took me two and a half hours to edit, nobody likes. No, That's the way podcasting works. I wonder how long it, it takes to make a promo. I don't know. Our promos take about a minute. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't, I only sit down with you and go we need a new promo what again and then we record us saying that and that'll do a minute to advertise <laughs> oh well I will enjoy my Superman fruit snacks instead of my beloved jammy dodgers which are so tasty I like jammy dodgers maybe I will eat some Oreos as a sort of companion to Michael's constant chocolate biscuit eating but again we digress as mentioned earlier the series about Cyclops Death Squad which is the X-Force volume written by Craig, Kyle and Chris Yost is truly wonderful and perhaps the best part of it is how they handled The Vanisher who became one of my favourite characters throughout the run when I was having trouble affording comics It and Secret Six were the only books I got that's how much I liked it someone also mentioned the X-Force Sex and Violence miniseries starring the same cast and having the same writing team which is also good but not quite as good as the original series. We'll take your word for that, Jay, because I don't remember that conversation at all. Was, Do you? I don't know. I might have brought it up. It's a series <laughs> where Cyclops goes, right, let's create a, a kill squad in the X-Men. So was this following Avengers vs. X-Men? No, it was before Was that. this before Avengers vs. X-Men? Yeah. Right. So, so okay. it Wolverine led his own little black ops and he assassinated people. Right. And this was perfectly okay, was it? Yeah. Right. So say Cyclops goes, right, okay, so I want the head of this mafia organisation killed. Hush, hush, like... You could have just left it as I want the head of this mafia organisation in a bag. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't want Xavier to find out about it, so Wolverine's like, yeah, all right, I'll go make my little group and we'll go kill him. <laughs> so the X-Men were a wet works team? Part of them were. Excellent. Good. Good. That, that, sounds, that sounds great. 
Jay continues, Superior Spider-Man is definitely a great boot, though I disagree with your use of the status quo term, because I think it is a status quo change. To quote the Princess Bride, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Right, let's settle this. <laughs> Finally and forever. Right. Okay. Right, okay. It is not a status quo change. Okay. If in ten years' time, Dr. Octopus is still Peter Parker, right. then I will concede... Mea culpa, Robert Culp, I was wrong, it was a status quo change. After right? ten years. After ten years. Gwen Stacy dying, status quo change. It was Didn't a status quo change when it happened, though. Yes, and it still is. She's not alive anymore. But she's because dead. it happened... Status right. quo change. So when Gwen Stacy died, as soon as it happened, it was a status quo change. But when Peter Parker dies, as soon as it happens, it's not a status quo change. Yes, this is not going to stick. Right, okay. Um, him graduating high school, status quo well, change. Because he never went back to high school. It hasn't happened yet, so it's no, a change it's, so in it's, the status quo. Alright, okay. When he comes back, the status quo all right. changed again. John Paul Valley took over as Batman. At any point, did you go, this is a status quo change and this will stay this way forevermore. Nice Bruce class. Wayne will never be Batman again. No, you didn't. Because you're not stupid. You went, ah, right, so they're telling a story of what were to happen if Batman really was a rough vigilante that killed people. Well, but this will not stay this way. But that's different to what they're doing in Spider-Man now. How is it different? Well, because Peter Parker's dead. He's not right. dead. Am I in denial? I'm in the five yeah, yeah. stages of grief, and I'm currently in denial. He's not dead! He's coming back! No, he's, he's dead, Mark. You think? Yeah. So you've bought into this well, yeah. line sinker and copy of Angling Times. Even if he's not dead, it still sticks as quote change because he is not Spider-Man. When he comes back and is Spider-Man again, it's it's another change in the status quo. Really? So the fact that they've changed the status quo of Superior Spider-Man four times right, all right. since it began, this doesn't make your spider sense tingle. Alright. Or okay. have they just said status quo change because it's now a new buzzword? Matt Smith regenerates as the Doctor, right? Yes. New Doctor comes in. It's not, a, sta- it's not a status quo change at all. No, it's not. Because he's going to change again. Yes, so, you know. he's still the Doctor. <laughs> uh, I, I actually think status quo change is just the new buzzword. It's just a story, man. Like it, don't like it, whatever. I'm enjoying Superior Spider-Man, that's all I need. But Peter Parker will be back okay. at some point. Okay. That's my thinking. I think when Superior Spider-Man comes back, they will re-go back to being Amazing Spider-Man. And Amazing Spider-Man will come back. Whether or not they redo that as a number one, or whether they carry on from 701, I don't know. But no, Spider-Man doesn't traditionally do reboots with exceptions. As a rule, Spider-Man's narrative starts in Amazing Spider-Man number one and continues to this day, with exceptions. The Murray Jane marriage never happened. I was just going to say, but he's not married anymore. That's a retcon, not a reboot, because it happened in story. So it's not a retcon. So it's not a reboot, sorry, it's a retcon. And this superior Spider-Man is Dr. Octopus, he's now alive in Peter Parker's body. It's Peter Parker's face, it's Peter Parker's body, but it's Dr. Octopus's mind, Peter is dead. So is it still his spider sense then? Yeah. Or is it Doc Ock's sense? It's his Doc Ock's So sense. does that mean that like, Doc Ock's being inside both members of the Parker family? Shut up! We're not... We're not and, and Aunt May. Which is just a bit wrong, in many ways. And, oh, I know, I've got one for you. Okay. End of the Clone Saga. Right. Ben Riley took yeah. over as Spider-Man. Peter Parker and Murray Jane buggered off to live happily ever after. Right. That was supposed to be a permanent change. Ben Riley was supposed to be Spider-Man from then onwards. Right. New editorial team comes in and says, Oh, no, we're not 
bring Peter back, they kill Ben Riley off. Okay. Status quo change or story? Is it not both? Yes. Because originally this was supposed to be so why is now it and not forever both at the moment. Because it pissed Peter Parker will come back. But he's not now. So no, see, I think we're just using status quo changes buzz terms. <laughs> I think you're still in denial. I possibly am. I'm still in denial. But I, 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 I think Peter Parker will come back. I really do. Well, he might still status quo change. If you say so. I yeah. don't. I don't agree with it. You're trying to convince yourself here. Probably. Gwen Stacy dying status quo change. Peter Parker dying. Not a not status, status quo change. <laughs> Denial! Not just a river in Egypt! Uh, Jay's email continues, As far as the Doom Patrol, Andrew, you said you've only read Burns' run, and I feel sorry for you, because it's not only the worst Doom Patrol ever, but some of Burns' worst work. I'd agree with that. I thought Doom Patrol was crap, even when Burn was on it. Um, I liked them when they were in Tales of the... Not Tales, the new Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez. Yeah. I liked them then, but that's pretty much the only time that I've liked. I don't think having a Superboy necessarily makes Superman less. Superbaby, perhaps. But I think that Superboy doesn't need to be there, but he opens new possibilities. And the Legion has done stuff that doesn't involve Superboy, like the five years later and post-zero hour runs. But again, maybe some things aren't meant for some people. I just, I just never got into the Legion. I don't begrudge the people that do. There seems to be this... Jim Lee and Jeff Jones. Yeah, there seems to be this element of fandom... I'm not referring specifically to Jay here, so don't don't feel that I am Jay. There is this element of fandom that if you say you don't have an affinity for something, or you don't like something, that you're saying, I detest this and this shouldn't exist. No, just because I don't like something doesn't mean that shouldn't exist. I never got into the Doom Patrol. I'm not taking away from all the people who love the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. I never got into the Legion. Couldn't give a rat's ass about the Legion. Couldn't care less that taking Superboy out of Superman continuity screwed up the Legion. Because I didn't read the Legion. I don't care about the Legion. I'm not saying people that do should not have been upset. I'm not saying that people that do care about the Legion should not read the Legion. For more power to you. Like what you like. I'm enjoying the new Gary Frank, Jeff Johns take on Shazam. Because I didn't care about Captain Marvel. To me, Captain Marvel was the guy that fought Superman. That was it. I, I, I don't dislike Captain Marvel. I'm not saying you're wrong for liking Captain Marvel. You like what you like. Just because I don't like something doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. I don't like that. I don't like when people say, I don't like this, therefore it should go. This isn't mine, so I don't want it. Okay, it's not yours. Let somebody else have it. And that's the same with the Legion. I don't hate them. I just don't read their comics. It's as simple as that. Same with Superboy. I don't dislike Superboy. I just don't care if Superman was never Superboy. I actually prefer that. Yeah. Probably because I grew up with Christopher Reeve, who never was Superboy. First appears as Superman. And there is always that John Byrne gag that somebody will go, so when did you come Superman here? When did that happen? Who's the lucky girl? Hey! And I'm always thinking you just avoid that if you don't have Superboy. Yeah. And I just, I never got into it. Smallville did it alright, I suppose. They never did Superman, though. That's true. Apart from the last five minutes, the last episode. They never did Super. It was always Man. It's always the Man. Yeah. Uh, Jay continues, as to the actual Superman content, not much more to say other than it's amazing. I love action, number one. And even though I can enjoy the stories when they are more laid back, all the really badass Superman stories where he's just completely driven to fix anything is truly about truth, justice, and the American way. I agree with your idea that Batman is actually less realistic than Superman. Superman, because as I have grown older and wiser, I find 
find Batman harder and harder to believe or to suspend my disbelief because it's off the charts nonsense and even when Superman is in silly situations he's not unbelievable at least not until he starts sprouting new nonsensical powers well this goes to something we've talked about before super walking through walls super walking through walls yeah which is a little bit ridiculous. I know you mentioned about Luther being a sign of the change to sci-fi, but the ultra-humanite predated him and was probably even more sci-fi after he stopped using taxi drivers to do his work. <laughs> you talked about Michael reading the Infinite Crisis omnibus, and I love the series in the... even the actual series. Sorry, Andrew. But my favourite is definitely the Villains United series that introduces Secret Six. I've not read Infinite Crisis for ages, so I have no comment. It's better if you do read it as a whole. Is well, it? Yeah. But in the big omnibus that you've got. Apparently the omnibus isn't all that great. I thought you had the omnibus. I do, but me and Michael Bailey were talking about it on the show we did together. Yes, I listened to that. It was very good. Yes. Um, Views from the long box, go and find it. It's very good. Mm-hmm. But um, the way it collects in the omnibus is all the miniseries is collected together. Yeah. Whereas apparently, uh, when they came, you're supposed to read it how they came out, because it was a very definite... There's linear order. progression. Yeah. Right. Okay. I do mean to read Infinite Crisis again because I want—I wouldn't mind reading all of them again. Infinite Identity and whatever the other one was, final. Yeah, seeing if I like them more now. You have to read them that order. Do I? It's Identity, Infinite. Yeah, and then Fifty Two. I'm not reading Fifty Two. It counts. I'm sure it does. Give me the, the Reader's Digest version. Have you got the omnibus for 52? Yeah. I thought you did. Uh, Jay continues, I love Andrew's Mark Miller impression. Do that more. Aye, alright then, I'll do it more just for you. It's not just a Mark Miller impression. <laughs> it's it's generally a Grant Morrison impression that morphed into a Mark Miller impression. A real Scottish person could probably really tear this accent to pieces, and in fact has. My mate Scott just hits me around the head whenever I try to do a Scottish accent. But I think it's pretty damn good. It's certainly better than my Irish, which is quite appalling. It's and very similar. And any Irish people who ever met me in person, I would be willing to accept them <laughs> punching me for that accent. As for the ultimate, my problem is it is the fundamental misunderstanding of what makes Hank Pym tick. As a fan of Hank Pym, it makes it hard for me to say what I think of as a damaged but redeemable character, sadistically enjoying torturing his wife. But I've gone off again. I don't bit, think anything can make Hank Pym tick anymore. Can it not? Have no. they just damaged him too much? He's dead. Is, is Hank Pym? Is, is he? Is he not is dead? He dead? Did they bring him back? I thought he was back. Right. Okay. Because who's going to be Ant Man in Edgar Wright's movie? Scott Lang. Who yeah. created Ultron? Hank Pym. Hank Pym. So he's going to be Ant Man. Right. Apparently. But he's not because he doesn't create Ultron. No, he doesn't create Ultron. But he's going to be Ant Man in right, Edgar Wright's okay. Ant Man movie. But he's not Ant-Man at the moment. No, well, that's why my thinking with that was they could have him in Avengers 2. That would make perfect sense. Yeah. But, you know, whatever, we'll see what happens. Jay continues, the bit about Robin going on a date with Lois is truly creepy, but does foreshadow Dick Grayson getting into everything with a skirt. I quite like that about Dick Grayson. Yeah. He's in his early 20s, let him sow his oats. You know. I think it's very interesting that people go off all the time about super dickery, but bat dickery is just as prevalent. Especially in that Fortress of Solitude story where he's scurrying the living crud out of Superman and almost kills him. 
And a lot of the dumb or questionable things Superman did, Batman did too. Yeah, Bat Dicker is just as prevalent, but it's yeah. easy to pick on Superman, apparently. Yeah, but whenever Superman and Batman have a crossover, it's always a super Bat Dicker issue. <laughs> yeah, don't mind that at all, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, the Supergirl crush thing doesn't totally go away. There's a story called The Super Courtship, or something like that, where Superman does make a comment about how Supergirl would be the perfect mate, but he can't marry her because they're cousins. And even though cousin marriage is legal on Krypton... It's not on Earth, so they can't. I thought it was. Which is creepy. What, cousin marriage is legal on Krypton? No, on Earth. Only in certain parts of Earth. (laughs) And they are parts of the Earth that we don't want to go to. (laughs) So let's move on. Anya's review was adorable, and I hope to hear more reviews from her. Well, we're thinking of pulling her in if we ever do do George Perez's Wonder Woman, which is another thing. I said do-do, yes. Oh, you two are astonishingly childish. Uh, I love me some Supergirl, and you've inspired me to put up my Supergirl showcases and read them. Be excellent to each other and party on Jay. Ferguson. Thank you. Jay. Ferguson. I'm trying to make it that I didn't pause in between his first and surname, though. Okay. And I, I do that deliberately. Instead, you pause between the two syllables and his... Well, yeah. two syllables. Yeah. That was good, that. I enjoyed that email. It took us 20 minutes to get through it. But Metal Gear, um, yeah. How about Daredevil Yellow instead, which is from Chris Keith. Hello, Chris. Leyland's. Well, gents, I would love to go into a page-by-page commentary of my thoughts of Metal Gear Solid, but after reading issues 1 to 6 in preparation for part 1 of your coverage, I came to one conclusion. Wow, I'm glad I obtained these books through questionable means. Paying for this fine quality material would have been a crime. The art is terrible. It reminds me of that Havoc Wolverine mini from the late 80s. I'll stop dogging it and instead move on to this week's selection. Ah, yes. Daredevil Yellow. Oh, you're giving him a big hug. Oh, my. He only shoehorned the comics in so we'd play the game. That's not true at all. (laughs) It's totally true. (laughs) I got bored of ten weeks of your coverage. So what did we do for ten weeks? Spider-Man. We didn't do Spider-Man for ten weeks. We did Superman for eight. Did we? Yeah. Right. We've never done Spider-Man for ten. I can do <laughs> Spider-Man for ten. Do <laughs> Spider-Man One podcast? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally, totally down with that. <laughs> anyway, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. A personal favourite continues, Chris. I have gladly selected from my collection Daredevil Yellow to reread it this week. I've enjoyed this one every time and I'm still just fascinated by the book. Tim Stale is a genius. The black and white feel of Fogwell's gym, the almost rat pack feel of the restaurant where Jack takes the boys for dinner. Little details, but these are the things I remember most and not the fight scenes. My thoughts on these books. Number one, is that fighter supposed to be Crusher Creel that Jack fights? Yes, he's actually named in the dialogue. Could Jack's Murdoch defeat of Creel be in the cause? of his life of crime? Yeah, it could be. Okay, so Carl Crusher Creel was an ex-boxer. Nicely done, Jeff Loeb. And way too coincidental. No! I don't think it was too coincidental. There are only so many boxers that will have been operating in Hell's Kitchen at that time. I can buy that at some point Jack Murdoch would have met Crusher Creel. I thought that was a nice little continuity touch. Mm -hmm. Because it was ultimately irrelevant to the story. If you got that that was Crusher Creel, brilliant. And if you didn't, didn't matter. It wasn't continuity wank for the sake of continuity wank. Number two, Matt not getting a chance to tell his dad one time that he loved him. Wow. Still gets me every time I read it. Three, Karen. I love how Sale drew her. Nothing that was over the top, just simply drawn and beautiful. No gigantic boobs. No overstated anything. No, and she was always dressed quite demurely as well. Which is odd given what Frank Miller did to her. Yeah. Turn her into a prostitute. 
doing porn. Oh, did he? Or did he make a two porn movies? I forget which. Frank Miller ruined a character. <laughs> I don't know that he ruined her so much as... Well, someone else ruined her. Yeah, well, given what she was doing for a living, yeah. Number four, there are simple lines in this book that I just love. I could tell you were in Charlie. They don't make that perfume anymore. It's gone now. Excellent writing. Yes, that was a lovely touch. I like that as well. Number five, I've read every issue of DD, and while I'm one of the few that really loved Daredevil right before the Kevin Smith series began, whether it was Kiesel writing or Joe Kelly, I enjoyed it. Karen as a late-night talk show host was good stuff. I understood why the fat man killed her, but damn, I miss Karen Page. She was a great character in the scene of this book with her shadow boxing was adorable. If Karen had been that well-written prior to this, maybe they wouldn't have killed her. Yeah. Is always a possibility. Number six, Slade, the killer of Jack Murdoch. What an unbelievable dumbass. This guy gets a gun pointed in his face by a guy dressed like that and confesses to murder. Now, just tell the guy in the wrestling outfit what he wants to hear and then do the opposite. And then he agrees to testify. And he still gets the death penalty. Yeah, we pointed out that this was remarkably stupid, I think, didn't we? Clearly, Jeff Loeb knows nothing about criminal law. That bit of stupidity blew right past me the first time I read it, but you're right, there is no requirement that the defendant testify in a trial. Therefore, the only reason you could do it is to get a lesser sentence. I guess you're originally going to be charged with double death. (laughs) Somebody being given a death sentence is lesser if you were given a double death. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because it can only kill you once. So... Number seven, so Reed's friends from Columbia recommend Nelson and Murdoch. Just a tip, Reed, if your friends who know that you are rolling in cash recommend some attorneys right out of law school, those are not friends, they are dicks. That's a practical joke, Mr. Fantastic. No one wants a lawyer fresh out of law school to do anything except research and maybe clear up a traffic ticket. <laughs> I don't think we pointed out that that was a bit stupid. I, that, I think that was the to iron over a continuity thing in the original where Ben just shows up at Nelson and Murdoch when there's tons of lawyers in New York City. Yeah. And I think that was just an explanation that didn't need to be there, to be honest. It's like explaining why the burglar burgles Peter Parker's house. What a phenomenal coincidence that is. Well, one, he's a burglar. Yeah. And two, that's the point of the story. Saying that there's ancient money buried under the floorboards in the Parker house just makes it even more of a coincidence Marv Wolfman because that's what he did in Amazing Spider-Man 200 he explained that the burglar robbed the Parker household because there was something buried under the floorboards some gold or something from Prohibition Days so he explains a coincidence by by creating another huge coincidence. So it's it's doubly coincidental, isn't it? It's doubly coincidental, not only that Peter Parker would let this guy go who would later go on to rob his house, but that this house would have gold in it that this burglar knows about and he's going to go and rob. Okay. uh, There's overthinking it and then there's messing it up. There's John Byrne and then there's Marv Wolfman. No, that was Marv Wolfman. That wasn't... I mean, John Byrne overthought it in Chapter 1. Yeah. He did... uh, He had it that Peter's... Uncle Ben bought him a computer was carrying it into the house. The burglar saw it and thought, they must be rich. They've got a computer. I will rob that house. (laughs) So that's even more coincidental. Yeah. So it's... No, just leave it alone. (laughs) Leave it. I'm, fine I'm, as it I'm is. It. They've never got that origin right in the films. Okay, enough of a trip down memory lane for today. Yes, I plowed through all six in about an hour. Thanks as always, even when the subject material is meh, or in this case, metal gear, the top notch coverage is wireless and Chris Keith. Well, thank you, Chris. I don't think Michael's thanking you. No. <laughs> he's entitled to his opinion, even if he's wrong. <laughs> is that what you're saying? 
Min. <laughs> Come on, you thought I'm not, not denying the crap. comic was crap, yeah. Well, he's not saying the game was crap. Yeah. So there you go, there's your mutual middle yeah. ground. Shake hands. <laughs> Call it a day. Uh, PS Doctor Who update. I really should transfer this part to an email for Who True Freaks. And you were right. Words I love to hear. And Michael, you were wrong. Words I love even more about Donna. Love her. We just finished The Doctor's Daughter. She's hot. David Tennant is a lucky man. Yeah, Georgia Moffat's a bit of alright, isn't she? Surprised they've not brought her back, yeah. Uh, Thank you, Chris. Our next email, Daredevil Yellow and Guilt, is from Bobby Coakley. Hi, Bobby. Hey, Leylands. Your review of Daredevil Yellow was a very interesting look at the character and brought up elements of Matt Murdock's character and history that are really examined, or that can bring up continuity errors when they are examined. I think the Grace character was lobe and sailed in a reference to the long Halloween and Gilda Dent. Harvey Dent's fiancée was named Grace on Batman the Animated Series. Yellow itself has been referenced elsewhere. The Absorbing Man's boxing match against Jack Murdock was mentioned in Dark Reign, Lethal Legion and Peter David She-Hulk run. Oh good, so that's become established fact that's fair enough then. Slade and his lack of remorse over Jack Murdoch's murder is fascinating Slade saying Jack deserved it for winning the fight is an interesting element beyond Slade taunting Matt for his amusement even if Jack never said he would throw the fight Slade and the fixer probably thought telling Jack to throw the fight was enough for him to agree to it by default I also wonder if Matt asking who fixed things for the fixer was Loeb referencing the kingpin that's a good point yeah we didn't consider that did we Wilson Fisk could have had his fingers in that particular pie, couldn't he? Mm -hmm. Any remorse of origin story villains is a tricky thing. If the murder of a loved one is a reason to fight crime, what happens when the murder is remorseful? Joe Chill didn't feel guilt for killing the Waynes in Grant Morrison's Batman run, justifying his actions as class warfare. Post-Flashpoint, Chill can only meekly say he didn't mean it. In Dick Grayson's origin, Tony Zuko doesn't seem remorseful for killing the flying Graysons. Any guilt Daredevil feels over the fixer's death was discussed in Daredevil issue 350. Matt, having one of his dark nights of the soul, is confronted with the people he has directly or indirectly killed. There's an odd mix of Matt thinking, why should I feel guilty over the deaths of murderous criminals, versus sometimes even criminals can be capable of goodness. That storyline, written by James DeMatteis, involved Matt back in the yellow costume, and Foggy Nelson finally learning Matt was Daredevil and not taking it very well. The story also ended with Matt fakes his death, was black armour as Daredevil, and uses the secret identity Jack Battling era that most fans would rather ignore. Was that the DG Chistester rule? I don't think I've ever read any of that. Matt and Foggy didn't discuss Matt being Daredevil until issues 353, with Matt saying he never even told his father about his superpowers. Foggy was puzzled how Matt seeing everything in an outline means he should wear a costume, run on rooftops and fight supervillains. Matt says the contradictions of his life is part of his charm. That era of Daredevil was written by Carl Kiesel, and one of the few times the series wasn't morose and depressing. <laughs> Does Daredevil work when he's not morose and depressing? Yeah. Yes, he does, actually. It's quite a lot of stuff that's not morose and depressing. It's quite fun. Keep up the good work, Bobby Coakley. Thank you, Bobby. We appreciate that. Uh, we're taking a break from emails. Uh, we're going to plug in a quick trailer for somebody's show, and then we'll be right back with the State of Comics Address Marvel Comics. Taking a break from all our worries. Mm-hmm. Sure would help a lot. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. And I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain. And good ones 
are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Thank you very much. Our state of comics address begins with Marvel. Doesn't it always? Yeah. Uh, Marvel have used the Marvel Now brand to turn out some real quality stuff, and I can honestly say of all the Now and pre-Now books I tried out, only one of them didn't stick. Initially, I stuck with the Hardy Perennials and pretty much the only Marvel books I was reading, Spider-Man and Daredevil. Daredevil was a great read and Spidey was entertaining, but kind of going through the motions. The arrival of Superior didn't fill me with great joy, but to my surprise, Dan Slott has brought it every month, making the Spider-Man title one of my favourite currently being published. However... For the most part, I was ambivalent to now. But then I read an interview with editor-in-chief Axel Alonso, which is a great name. Isn't it? Axel. Axel. And unlike some interviews with other higher-ups at other companies, he didn't talk in sound bites, he didn't talk in corporate doublespeak, and he seemed passionate about what he was doing. He said that the Now Books would have a creative theme that had pitched an idea for a lengthy run on each comic, and that they would be idea-driven, story-driven, and although there may be rotating artists, the writers picked would have a very definite idea. There would be no revolving doors of creators. He kind of had me hooked, so slowly I gave them a try. I was sort of on the fence with trying Indestructible Hulk anyway, as Mark Wade was writing it, and picking it up had been a good decision. Wade, as he has with Daredevil, has extrapolated the idea of the Hulk, and without invalidating what has come before, taken the series in a new and interesting direction. It's a good comic, and one I recommend if you like the Hulk in the movies. Again, I was wary of trying Captain America. For reasons I've never been able to explain, I love Cap, and his film is still my favourite of the Marvel movies, and this comic has been incredibly divisive. And I can understand why. I shouldn't like this. Captain America isn't a sci-fi character. I was growing very bored of the direction Ed Brubaker, otherwise a class act, was taking him, and had dropped his title anyways, and Rick Remender was an unknown quantity. John Romita Jr. is hit and miss nowadays, so he'd have three strikes against it, and yet... I love this comic. I don't know why. I know I shouldn't like it. I know it's not going to be to everybody's tastes. But by going in a completely different direction, Remender has made a book that I read first every time it comes out in the week that it comes out. The big surprise for me with Now, however, has been Matt Fraction. I've read nothing by Fraction before Marvel Now, and although Hawkeye was gaining much critical love, my feeling, I've got to be honest, was how good can a book about Hawkeye be, really? Boy, was I wrong. Hawkeye is a great book. When David Ager draws it, it's a magnificent book. Fraction, by delivering a story about what the guy behind the mask does when he's not being Hawkeye, has managed to make a book that is different, during, and best of all, good. However, he didn't stop, though. He's made Fantastic Four good again. And even better, he's made having two FF books seem like a good idea by making them tonally completely different. Fantastic Four is big sci-fi adventure with Marvel's answer to the space family Robinson. FF is almost a sitcom. By having two completely different artists, Mark Bagley on Fantastic Four and Mike Aldred on FF, the reader is clued up straight away that these are two completely different comics. It's been a long time since the Fantastic Four has been top of the reading stack and it's good to have it back. Which is why it was sad yesterday when I read on comic book resources that Fractions leave it. Is it? He's plotted out his story through issue 16 but he's busy writing Inhumanity, an Inhumans book, yeah. along with his independent titles, and he's had to hand 
the Fantastic Four over to Carl Kiesel, which I can live with. I can live with it being Carl Kiesel. So you're going to be reading as humans now? I don't know. I may, again, I may see if I pick it up in the 50p bins, because I've, I've picked all the Fantastic Four up for cheap, haven't I? Yeah, There's a couple of issues couple of, of FF issues, yeah. I've had to pay full price for. They let you down. Yeah, but for the most part, I've picked all of them up out of the cheap bins. And maybe that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Because I was reading through the Comic Book Resources message board. Yeah. And just, it was post after post after post of people going good I'm glad he's not on the book good I'm not liking this storyline good get rid of him and I'm like am I just so <laughs> out of touch with what people like in comics at the minute that these that I'm, I'm enjoying what people aren't enjoying or what and I just I got to the point where I, I just carried I couldn't read them anymore I was just like no you're wrong no you're wrong I'm just leaving it the negativity of the internet has the got negativity of the in- no the negativity of the internet made me turn the internet off it didn't get to me. They're wrong. I'm enjoying Fantastic Four. But I couldn't believe... They're wrong for not enjoying it. Yeah, they're wrong for not liking it. Uh, but it didn't just... What was like you said before about Superboy? No, well, that's, that's just... Uh, yeah, whatever. You're not liking it, fine. But I didn't understand all this. Good, I'm glad he's not on it. Good, I'm glad he's going away. Good, maybe, this storyline's getting boring. If you're not liking it, don't buy it. Maybe it's not all that great if you play in full price for it. Maybe it's not. That's true. Maybe the fact that I'm only paying 75 people issues. Maybe we'd hate The Walking Dead if we read it every month. Maybe we would. That's very true. It's not just the core titles over at Marvel, though. Daredevil Dark Knights kicked off a great miniseries with a great little story by Lee Weeks. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, issue one, which again I got in the 70p bin, was hysterical. Garth Ennis' take on elderly Nick Fury and Fury Max is as profane and entertaining as you would hope. I've avoided the X titles, with one exception, so I can't speak to them, and I've read no Avengers books, but so far, for me, Marvel is kicking DC's ass up and down town at the moment do you have any Marvel picks? I don't read much Marvel I read Spider-Man occasionally I can't get to them anymore because you put them away as soon as you they're read only there it's effort it's less effort than getting out all my preachers nail blazers which you seem to on a regular basis yeah but every time I go and get the Spider-Man box it almost kills me every time because he's a weed he's a weed yeah. so Superior Spider-Man but you're not reading any of the others Hawkeye's fun Hawkeye's great mm-hmm. anything else? That's it. That pretty much it. Okay, fair enough. Back to emails. Are you reading any Marvel comics, Ange? I don't read Marvel. Okay. I'm on my own again, then. Here I am, again, on my own, fighting the tide of popular opinion. I do apologise. It's because you're wrong. (laughs) They don't work tights! Anyway, moving on. Just very tight trousers. Just very tight pants. Captain Tight Pants. They were the hipsters before hipsters. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were. Our next email, are you feeling yellow punk? Well, are you? Is from Rob Stubbs. Hello, Rob. Hello, Andrew Leyland, Michael Leyland, and the other multitudes of Leylands everywhere, including the multiverse. The Leylandverse. That would be odd. No, it wouldn't, would it? <laughs> I will start off by saying Daredevil Yellow isn't as good a story as Spider-Man Blue, for at least two reasons. The first reason is that Blue's source material is much stronger, which translates better in retelling. The second reason is that Yellow is a starting point of them doing these kinds of stories in the Marvel Universe, which means all the things they learn doing this story benefits the next story. Blue made it a better story. Yeah, well, I, I, we said that in the show, didn't we? Daredevil Yellow, on the one hand, had it easier. Yeah. In that what it was adapting wasn't very good. If you're going to be brutally honest with yourself, you can read those first six issues of Dodo and enjoy them, but they're not very good. So Yellow got around that by making them good. Yeah. 
Blue, most of the stuff Blue was adapting was good to begin with. So it was good all around. So, yeah. I mean, he changed the order of some events and he altered certain things. Blue didn't need to be good. But the source material was good good anyway and Loeb didn't screw it up. That's the trouble with adapting other material. Does the writer screw it up and Loeb didn't? And with Daredevil Yellow, he took something that wasn't very good and made it good. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to get to Hulk Grey at some point. But I don't think Hulk Grey is a reworking of anything. Doesn't Hulk Grey take place after the first six issues of Hulk or... Some other, yeah. It, so it's Hulk Grey is not a reworking of established storylines, is it? I can't remember because it's a while since I read Hulk Grey. Rob continues, I'm divided on the theory that the scenes where only certain things are coloured, like in the first issue, is a depiction of Murdoch's radar sense. I would like to believe it is, but the answer lies in the fact that Murdoch was blinded while growing up, so he has an awareness of himself, which he colours in, his father, who he colours in, blood, which he colours in, and the nuts, which he colours in, in his remembrance of rushing to his father's body. I can't back it up, though, because the fight scene between Jack Murdoch and Crusher Creel, where they are the most colourful things in the scene, with other people either being greyish or a more muted pastel sort of colour. If you factor in that they're most intensely active in those scenes, filter through Murdoch's heightened sentence, and this goes back to his depiction of the radar sense, or not. Um, I didn't say it was. I thought it would be a nice touch if it was. If that's how Sale depicted Matt's radar sensor, certain elements were colour and certain elements were black and white. But let's be honest, the radar sensor has been depicted so differently throughout the years that it doesn't matter. It could have just been an artistic choice. It worked either way for the story that it was telling. So it's not something I really got that hung up over. I'm not going to try and bother trying to make sense of the timescales between this, the original stories, and whatever Miller did, as it doesn't detract from this story for me. Other people can worry over that, but at least it's not a five-year timeline. Good point. Issue one deals with the death of his father. I liked that they incorporate Jack's father's colours into why the costume started out the way it did, as it elevates it in a way that, oh, that blind guy made a costume so naturally got the colours wrong, doesn't. Although that is a funny joke. Mm-hmm. That's to be said. In issue two, I'm confused as why Murdoch thought his father knew all his fights were rigged, and there's nothing to indicate that this was the case. If he did know, then he wouldn't have reacted the way he did when he was asked to throw the big fight in taking a dive. Issue 3 is the introduction of the wider Marvel Universe as the Fantastic Four show up to hire lawyers. It's these small moments, the things comedy bit at the law firm, the pool game, that makes these issues work really well. I'm not sure why the three annoying college students would be upset that they got beat if they were to commit assault and battery, as if it made a bit of difference if Murdoch was blind or not. They deserved the face pounding they took. Issue 4 is the battle between Electro and Daredevil. I liked the internal monologue where Daredevil is wondering why he's chasing a supervillain, as this wasn't what he intended. His goal was to capture his father's killers, but the praise the attractive young women throw his way after defeating Electro is something he likes. I like the mentions of the Daily Bugle and Spider-Man, and they build up to what's going on with the nefarious owl. The execution, where Slade gets the electric chair with its sombre grey colour, was perfect, as it contrasts nicely with how colourful and gaudy the earlier scene with Electro was. Issue 5, where the Owl has decided to kidnap Karen Page to force the lawyers he hired to represent him to continue to do so, despite not leaving a correct address, or giving a real name, or giving them any money. Yes, Daredevil being able to bend steel was a little odd. Maybe the goop that gave him his senses also gave him bend steel bar powers. That would make sense. Issue 6 is the final goodbye to Miss Page. We have the mention of a villain, Daredevil Fights and Defeats in the Dirly Bugle, written by Ben Urich. The story ends with Murdoch looking on as Daredevil is the gym his father trained as it reopened with his name on it, and he's going to be run by a reformed villain. The idea of a place where people get a second chance is good, and he's finally forgiven himself for Page's tragic death. This is me, your American alligator pal, saying, say you later, British crocodiles. P.S. Did Matt Murdoch write all his letters to the dead Karen Page in Braille? <laughs> 
Rarell Stubbs Jr. She got that letter and thought, oh, right. What the hell's this? I read it now, can't I? Our next email is simply titled, For Him, from Professor Allen. Leyland's, you wondered in the 25th of the 7th episode about the singing group For Him, who released a measure of a man song, and the hypotheses that they sounded like a boy band. Close. They're a vocal group made up of four fellas, and they sing pop-sounding gospel songs performing at churches and Christian events. Just trying to bring up the spiritual level of the podcast. <laughs> Cheers, Professor Allen. Thank you very much. I could have looked that up on the internet, but I was too lazy. Yeah. So thank you very much for telling us who for him are. Professor Allen is the host of the Quarter Bin podcast, co-host of the Short Box Showcase, co-host of the Book Guys show, and all of this is available at the relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. As of this record, I have listened to two... Two, count them, two, two. quarter bin podcast, and they were great. Really enjoyed them. So keep up that. Our next email is the mighty Luke Giaconetti. Some say he will be attending the nice convention at the Bedford Corn Exchange on the 7th and 8th of September. Mm-hmm. And that if he doesn't, we may. <laughs> Because well, so I was going there, realising yeah. not going there. <laughs> oh, I think it's pretty certain, likely that he's not going. Is there a mutual dislike between the two of you? No, no, I love Luke. I mean, a lot of time, if Luke was to go to that convention, I would make an effort to go. Yeah. All we know is he's called Luke Giaconetti. Uh, the subject heading is Nightwing, 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 Nightwing. Where do you come from? Where do you go? Nightwing. Do you get that? I get that one. Yeah. When Batgirl was pitched to be in season three of Batman, the 60s TV show, right. she had a theme tune. Where do you come right. from? Where do you go? Batgirl, Batgirl. No. Da, 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 da. That was Stingray, eye. wasn't it? Cotton Eye Dick. Not Cotton Eye Joe, no. <laughs> Cotton Eye Dick Grace. <laughs> Where do you come from? Where do you go? And if I am singing that song all day, I'm blaming you. Uh, my favourite pseudo Batman podcasters. That would be us, wouldn't it? With apologies to Yvonne Craig for the subject line. Personally, I have no strong opinions on Nightwing either way. I understand that a lot of people have extremely strong emotional connections to Dick Grayson, both as Robin and Nightwing, both on his own and in the context of the Teen Titans. The Titans never really did much for me, and he's another character like Daredevil who I can appreciate, but don't really have any investment towards. Also, like Daredevil, he also seems to have a legion of female fans yearning and dreaming for them to save them. Save them hard. (laughs) Was there a double entendre there, you think? (laughs) Well, essentially, though, Luke's just said more eloquently than what I said at the top of the show what I think about the Legion and Superboy. Yeah. It's essentially the same thing. I don't have any emotional connection to them. I don't hate them. I don't wish they didn't exist. I don't begrudge the people that do like them. Luke said it better than I did. Smarter than me. Here's the thing, though. Chuck Dixon can write back characters like it's nobody's business, and everyone raves about his Nightwing work, so this story at least piques my interest in an abstract sort of way. The amount of Batman the Animated Series elements which were worked into this story is interesting, since DC always seems to waver how much DCAU they want to use, and Superman guest spots are always appreciated, plus a name drop of the Outsiders, too. Speaking of which, I'm pretty sure that Batman still founded the Outsiders post-crisis, even though he did not quit the League beforehand. They've never been super clear on that point. Yeah, I think we were confused by that. Because I was wondering how he could have quit the League if he was never a member of the League. Yeah. In post-crisis continuity, Batman... No, Batman was a member of the Justice League, wasn't he? Superman and Wonder Woman weren't. Which just confuses me. If I'm remembering correctly, Luke continues Dixon's Friction, which would make a great band name. (laughs) 
With DC Comics comes from his conservative political views and opinions. But as this is not a political podcast, I will not elaborate beyond that. I think if that's true, that's a shame. Because my understanding, again, we're not political, we're not going to get into it, but my understanding is if that's true, then he worked with Denny O'Neill for years. So how come Chuck Dixon and Denny O'Neill could work together for years, turning out some magnificent Batman pop uh, stories, despite their political differences, but now Chuck Dixon won't get hired by DC? If that's true, we don't know that that is true. Is it not DC editorial rather than DC could be. creators? Whatever, could be. I don't know. But DC that... just don't seem to be getting on with the writers, though. Um, that, to me, is... I'm sure there's an ist for that. Politicalist. Yeah. I'm sure there's something for it. Again, we reiterate, we don't know if that's true. Luke believes that that's true, and I'm taking Luke at his word. Just so we don't get emails about that. Uh, Self-sued. As far as the original Teen Titans, Wally West has been strongly foreshadowed in Flash. Speedy had a launch title, Red Arrow and the Outlaws, which is still ongoing. Donna Troy is unlikely to show up in Wonder Woman, given the way that Azarello is writing it, although Garth seemed like a possible candidate for Aquaman, considering that Johns is writing it and the series has been dealing with Atlantis. So it's not really a shutout of the original Teen Titans, just mostly. Honestly, not losing much sleep over this, as the best presentation the original Titans have gotten in decades was Artie and Franco's Tiny Titans. <laughs> so until DC brings back Ding Dong Daddy. <laughs> Luke. I want a film with Ding Dong Daddy. Hey, we got my uncle in an episode of Smallville. P.S. In response to your query of when the last time a Superman comic was fun, Scott Lobdell's Superman in the New 52 has been a lot of fun, which is probably why so many reviews on the internet despise it. Alright, I'll check that out then. Recommend me a Scott Lobdell Superman to check out, Luke, and I'll read it. Ding Although... Adventures of Superman was fun. Yeah. The, digital, the first issue I picked up in the 75p bin. Again, I don't know if the price factors in how much I enjoy it, but whatever. Uh, quick break. Another plug. Another promo. Got lots of them. You can have them all. They're all free. And we'll be right back. My name is Grundy. Born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine or am I good where I'm at? Oh, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh, okay it, it really doesn't work well so i checked right. uh i checked my uh mm-hmm. oh my okay it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us join back to the bins every week for goodness solomon grinder hate voiceovers and we're back thank you very much my lovely daughter uh, following on from that lovely trailer for a lovely show, which I don't know what it was because I've not plugged the trailers in yet. But it must have been lovely. But I'm sure it's lovely. I'm yes. sure it's an excellent show by excellent people. Mm-hmm. I'm positive that it will be that. Because we're only friends with excellent people. We are. We are only friends with people that are great. Yeah. We're not friends with scum. Oh, no. We don't deal with scum. Oh, we're like the Punisher. Like we put a bullet through the head. Only without the bullets. <laughs> Only without the bullets. <laughs> and the, the through the head thing. Yeah. I'm digging myself a hole here, aren't I? It was a great show. It was a great trailer. The lovely people, whoever they were, whatever it was for. Uh, DC! DC was harder for me. 
After launching New 52, I've steadily lost interest in and a lot of DC's books fell off reading an awful lot of them. Every time Dan Didi opens his mouth, I lose even more interest, even though he does seem like a nice guy to talk to. But it's not all doom and gloom. No, Justice League picked up immeasurably with the throne of Atlantis Arc, and fair play, Aquaman has been a solid read. Even though I still... Well, well, 50p bins. (laughs) Even though I still think Nemo could kick his ass. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. Aquaman. Aquaman all the way for you? Yeah. Oh, I think Nemo. Nemo's sneaky. So is Aquaman. You think? There's a lot of ocean you can sneak I around. wish Marvel and DC were talking to each other so we could have Aquaman versus Nemo. Have we ever had that? Did I, we get it in DC versus Marvel? I don't know. I don't remember. But it sounds like a book where sales would plummet. Oh, would sink very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I want it. I want Nemo <laughs> versus Aquaman. I want it now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really good. Uh, I'd even let Jeff Johns and yeah. um, who's the artist? Even Reese do it. I'd let them do it. A full DC one? No, no, yeah, but they have to be fur. They have to play fur. They can't just have Aquaman win just because they're DC creators. So Namor would win. Yeah. <laughs> what about right? No, you'd end up that they fought to a standstill, wouldn't you? But yeah. There wouldn't be a winner. All right, Jeff John writes it. John Byrne draws it. Burned uh, flatly refusing to work for Marvel and DC at the minute. Is it? Which is a shame because yeah, I'd have that. Oh, Perez. Yeah. I'd have Perez do it if you were going to go old school. Perez is DC as well. But he's not now. He signed an exclusive with Boom. He's, he's quit DC. I'd, I'd say Kevin Maguire, but he's just quit <laughs> DC as well. I think of the current crop, Ivan Rice would suit Aquaman Nemo. Just like last time when somebody said Superman, Spider-Man, I'd want Marcus Martin. Yeah. I just think Marcus Martin would suit those characters. Or Chris Samney, I said, didn't I? Yeah. And I think Ivan Rice would suit Aquaman Nemo. Well, he, well, he did Aquaman. Yeah. So that's I, I, I'd be down with giving them the creative tools to that, but I want to see a proper Aquaman Nemo slugfest. Yeah. I want it to kick all the ass. Or each other's. Or each other's, yeah. Uh, I can understand long-time Captain Marvel fans would hate the new take on the character, but as I'm not a long-time Captain Marvel fan, I kind of dug what Johns was doing with it. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are still making a great Batman comic. I ignore all the other Batman comics, though, don't I? I don't read yeah. Batman and Robin, I don't read Detective Comics, I don't, I don't read, read Batman Batman and Robin anymore. Is it, what, is it Batman and it's now? Shane, yeah. Right, I don't read any of them anymore, I just follow Batman. He's brave in the polls. Well, I don't mind that. I actually quite like it. Just the name to Batman. Brave and the Bold. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Other than that, though, my main raid at DC is the return of Astro City, still as good as it ever was. Green Arrow has some great art, but I have to say, I think they've completely bollocked Superman again, with Superman Unchained and Batman Superman being quite underwhelming. What have you thought of those two? Um, I'm not enjoying... I'm actually not sure, because... I'm kind of enjoying Superman Batman, but I don't want to, and I'm not really enjoying it that much. I don't like Thingyo's art. I don't like Jay Lee's art, and that almost stopped me from buying it in the first place. I like it, but it doesn't suit Superman. Right. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah, it's okay, but it's not. it doesn't suit Superman Batman. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to give Superman Unchained till the end of its first story arc. Yeah, Superman Unchained's fine as a widescreen Jim Lee. Yeah, but they've already brought Batman into it. I don't mind that. I it's, do. It's got a Superman comic. Yeah, but, but okay, zero hour, not zero hour, zero year is set in the past. Batman's yes. got to be doing something. Yeah, so, yeah, but there's three other Batman books where he's in the present day. He's not in the past in Detective Batman and and Dark Knight, is he? Are we reading those ones? No, we're not. Well, it's fine. He can no, right. on a chain. Fair enough. Okay. As long as we're reading it. <laughs> Everyone else can go hang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Adventures of Superman digital comics fun. 
I think I've made I've read the first issue I may pick some of those up digitally because they're only 69p so I may pick some of them up Batman 66 is really fun have you read that? no that's really good laugh uh, Injustice Gods Amongst Men has been the biggest surprise you've not read any of them have you? no you're down on that book for no it's a great book alright it's a really good read are you going to get the game? when it comes down in price yeah I'm not paying 40 quid for it when it comes down to 15 I'll get it but I'm not paying full price no it is really good I've been pleasantly surprised with how good that comic's been mm. because it's a what if yeah and it's it's weird you've got a Superman though that has essentially gutted lots of people at this point but you understand why he's done it and he's still Superman it's good it's a good read I recommend Injustice Gods Amongst Men I wish I knew how long it was going to go for yeah, since the game's been out for ages. Yeah, it's like, how long's this title going to run? I originally thought it was only going to be about 12 issues. Yeah. But apparently not. But it's, it's well, it's worth checking out. I like that. Do you have any DC picks, young Michael? Um, Justice League is fun now. But I know. Justice League generally? Well, yeah, the Justice League title. All right, Justice yeah. League, Justice League of America but and Justice League Dark. I'm kind of going off it since DC don't know how to handle the books. The solicitations for um, the new... For no Forever evil. Yeah, they've ruined like um, the end of Trinity War. Have they? Yeah, see, I've not read the solicitations. I look through and see what titles I want, but I don't read the blurbs. Right, because in big, big, not so friendly capital letters, they <laughs> tell you what happens at the end of Trinity War. And it's not just the Justice League book. Oh no, it's all the Justice League book. It's all the books. Right. Okay. So the solicitations for a month that's three months down the line have ruined a boot that isn't out till next month yeah well done DC mm. um, the Justice League of America was fun as an expansion of Justice League the Justice League franchise uh, I think Justice League Dark's fun mm. the first run on that Peter Milligan's was okay if you liked Peter Milligan trying to write a Vertigo title with Vertigo characters in the new DC <laughs> Square peg? Yeah. Ramble. Uh Jeff Lemire's stuff was good up until recently where he's only co-writing it. He's still writing Green Arrow. He's writing Green Arrow, which is pretty good. Yeah, Green Arrow's pretty good. With the art as well, it's just the DC equivalent of Hawkeye. It is, essentially. Not and like... it's very influenced by the TV show, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. very influenced by Arrow. And not like this. Hmm. Which is written on Bendis' Avengers of Hod. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> not like this. I just got that. <laughs> Um, Animal Man's always good. Um, Animal Man's gotten better now that Swamp Thing's finished. Because Swamp Thing's finished? Did they cancel it? No, Scott Snyder's stuff. Oh, right. But they don't cross over anymore. But the only problem with that was Swamp Thing was better than Animal Man. So Animal Man was always trying to hold its own up against Swamp Thing. Right. But it's better now that it's not... He's only concentrating on the one. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Scott Snyder's doing the wake for Vertigo, three issues of which I've got but not read yet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm willing to give that a go as well and see whether that's any good. Constantine, uh, I'm actually enjoying getting quite into. Get out. <laughs> uh, I'm not reading anything else, are I? No, not really. No. Okay, dog. All right, well, there are our DC picks. Our next email is simply titled Nightwing Year One. It's by Stephen Lacey. Hello, Stephen. We love Stephen. Well, you have to, you work with him. I, I, I'm contractually obliged to love him, yeah. Um, dear Michael and the other one, I listened vaguely. Oh, no, I've read that wrong. <laughs> I listened, you were in the background. I went down a line and read vaguely. <laughs> I 
messed that up. I listened vaguely, but it wasn't my show. Yeah, so I didn't care. <laughs> I listened intently to your episode. Intently? So oh, yeah. I really did. A bit of a difference. Yeah. I really listened intently to your episode covering Nightwing Year One due to the vagaries of my comic buying across the years. I found myself buying Nightwing from the death of Blockbuster through to several issues in the Phil Hester and A. Parks era, which encompassed this storyline. It was the only Year One story I ever bought in single issues at the time of release. Anticipation was high for this story. Chip Dixon and Scott McDaniel were returning to the book after an extended run from Devin Grayson, who I refuse to talk of in terms that other, cast- other podcasters will very unkindly use when referring to her. She wrote some of my favourite Batman stories when I was getting into the character. Um, just on that, I didn't know what he was talking about, though. Mm. But I do now know, because we've done a fantastic cast. It's not funny to have someone who has the same surname as the person they're writing. Yeah, well, I didn't like her Nightwing run, Devin Grayson's, but... Yeah. I've never read a Teen Titans run, which I understand is divisive. But her Batman Gotham Knight stuff is great. Mm. The first, like, 20-odd issues before it got wrapped up in the whole Bruce Wayne murderer stuff. Yeah. Where she's just... She essentially told a, sep- a single story every, every month. And some of that stuff's really good. Mm. And there's a great issue where Aquaman and Batman have nothing to do. There's yeah. no crime. There's nothing going on. So they go doing the rest of the just bat aqua dicker. No, yeah, they're just hanging around in the back here. Batman's trying to get on with bat computer stuff. Yeah. And Aquaman's like, "Want to go playing pool? You want to come and hang out with me?" And Batman's like, "Go away!" And they're both just—they've got nothing to do. Yeah. And it's a great issue. So I, I don't know where all this Devin Grayson hatred is coming from, but I'm only judging her on what I've read. I didn't like Nightwing, but I did like Gotham Knight. So, like I said, I've never read a Teen Titans stuff. This storyline was released immediately following the War Games crossover, continues Stephen, and the subsequent wrapping up of the Tarantula plotline with issue 100. Following this, Dick disappeared. This was the perfect time to release this storyline. With Dick missing in the Bat comics following Batman's rejection of his family after Stephanie's death, a flashback story was a great way to maintain the mystery of what had happened to him without contriving plots not to feature in it. Your coverage was pretty good. I'll take that as a compliment. Although your nitpicking was hilariously inconsistent. We're often inconsistent within the same sentence. In fact, I noticed an inconsistency in Days of Future Past when I re-listened to it. Did you? Yeah, and I I was like, should I go and edit that? And then I thought, screw it. As a reader who didn't grow up with Dick in the new Teen Titans, the story of how he became Nightwing never seemed very important. The destination was the key event, not the journey. Having said that, I enjoyed the storyline and your coverage. A pleasingly unusual choice. Well, it it came about very last minute. It's one of them, we do have the book with ideas in. And it's right at the side of me now with lots of penciled ideas for future shows. And Nightwing Year One wasn't in it. Mm. And then... Dan DiDio did his painter target on Dick's back thing again Which is for happening. Forever Evil, didn't yeah. he? And I just got so, like, what is your problem with Dick Grayson? What's your problem with him? I, d- I just didn't get it at all, and it just raised my ire. <laughs> One would have thought that a character who sells, he would have liked. Yeah. And the guy's been around since 19... There's plenty of other Robins for you to kill off. Because, <laughs> or, or, you know, that's what I'm saying, is he working his way backwards? <laughs> yeah. Till he gets that there's only Dick left for him to kill off. Damien, Jason. Yeah, it's just so. So that's where Nightwing Year One came from. I just got fed up of Didio painting another target on Dick's back. You're not just fed up with Didio like the rest of us. No, I'm not fed up with Didio at all because he's doing a job. He's doing that job to the best of his ability and what he thinks will sell. But what that job is. Largely, though, what he thinks will sell and what I enjoy to read seem to be diverging rapidly. Well, what he thinks will sell and what actually sells are very different. 
Because the new 3D covers gimmick they've gone for has backfired tremendously. Has it? Yeah. Because I was on Facebook the other day, I said I'm not buying any DC that... They've already up. started opening returns. Have they? Yeah. But somebody posted to me they're buying more books that month. Right. So, fair player. But for me, it, it was just an easy month to save some money. Because None started. of these books are written by the regular creative team. Yeah. They're all costing a lot more money than usual. But it's the 3D covers. I it's couldn't give a rat's ass about 3D exactly, covers. Exactly, they started taking returns in return for 2D covers. Right. So they are doing 2D variant covers for the regular price. Yeah. That wasn't on the original solicitations, was it? That's I've read somewhere that that's what they're doing. They're, um, they're returning... They're taking 3D covers off stores yeah. in return for 2D covers. Right. Okay. I may pick... Again, I'll have a look through the 75p events. I'm yeah. not paying $3.50. They'll all be there on the same yeah, month they'll, release. they'll be there the month of... The Hawkeye Annual 1 was in the 75p event, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Um, Fantastic Four 10 and Hawkeye 12, the week they came out, yeah. were in the 75p event. So I'm not paying full price for On a side note, the joke of saying anything Batman has ever said in Christian Bale voice has got very old. I think it's time to put it to a rest. It makes you seem you have some long-standing chip on your shoulder regarding the Nolan films, which I know you don't have. And even if you did, you're better than that, unlike some other people. Um, I don't know if you listen regularly, young Mr. Lacer. And I understand people (laughs) dipping in and out. Sometimes we'll cover stuff they're not interested in. That's fair enough. We'd not done the swear to me gag for months we retired that after night's end when it happens though it's hilarious and you brought it back for night because I said after we'd finished recording where did that come from what made you bring that back and you were just like it's funny (laughs) so fair enough okay it was now doing me I'm blaming him Um, I know I don't have a chip on us. I like Batman Begins. I think Batman Begins is a great film on its own on its own I think Dark Knight has Problems, but has a great central performance. But Heath Ledger's not playing any Joker. It's I know. a good film that doesn't include the Batman or the Joker. Well, that is possibly. But Dark Knight Rises was appallingly bad. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we've made any secret of the fact we both thought that was crap, don't yeah. we? Uh, see you soon for another wonderful, fantastic record, Steve, which we did the other day. So that should probably be up before this one is. Yeah, I would imagine. Our next email is simply called Nightwing Rocks from Dave Walker hello Dave hello Leyland 1 and Leyland B feel free to decide which is which amongst yourselves I'll be one alright just finished listening to your Nightwing episode and it was fantastic thank you I started actually collecting Nightwing shortly after year one for a year or so at least and decided that I should probably go back to the beginning of the series to catch up a little I remember enjoying it but my faulty memory has no recollection of any of the storylines I read with the exception of a few of the things that the Nightwing character who spells his name differently and didn't know that Nightwing existed before he came up with Nightwing he reminded me a little of Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, except not as good. Few things in the episode I wanted to check. Roy Harper, Speedy Arsenal. Are we not counting him as an original member of the Teen Titans? I know he wasn't there in their first appearance, but surely he should get some kind of credit for being one of the few characters to have made it into the New 52. You are correct, sir. I I never consider Speedy Roy Harper to be a member of the Teen Titans because he wasn't a member of the New Teen Titans. That's my bad. That's on me. So yes, you are correct. Whilst we're on the subject of the Red Hood and the Outlaws, since that's where Roy gets his stories told, someone mentioned they don't bring up the fact that Jason was brought back from the dead much, except in Red Hood. I'm pretty sure it's fairly frequently mentioned, or at the very least it was mentioned in the most recent issues. I've never read Red Hood and the Outlaws, so I have no frame of reference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Dave, you're right, we should have mentioned Speedy, that's my fault. I don't blame you for not knowing who Speedy was. I know who Speedy is. 
Did you know he was a member of the original Teen Titans? I did not. There you go. I've always been off him because I thought he was speedily bad. Did you? I you were like speedy. No. Was he one of those sidekick characters you just never got into? I never, I never got into Green Arrow until recently, let alone speedy. Longbow Hunters. Longbow yeah. Hunters is brilliant. Didn't he become Arsenal? Mm. And then... And didn't he have his arm cut off? And he had a baby who... did. He lost his baby somehow. Oh, right. So Dan Vidio cut his arm off and killed his baby. Yeah. Excellent. Good. <laughs> Good, good, good. Finally, continues Dave, you mentioned Dr. Tompkins letting someone die to prove a point, but you didn't mention who it was she let die! I'm very sorry about that, Dave. If it wasn't bad enough that she's got in the new 52 and now there's only been four Robins, three in whatever main Earth designation applies, and she's not been one of them, that she's never been Batgirl, you go and don't mention her. I am making the assumption that she's only been seen to let Stephanie Brown die and that she hasn't been doing it frequently to prove a point. <laughs> hysterical <laughs> Dr. Leslie Tompkins is just letting random people die and going to Bruce your fault <laughs> uh, Dave continues this probably didn't work very well since it got retconned that she wasn't really dead only mostly dead and as we all know that means she was slightly alive plus being Bruce is the goddamn Batman he basically had worked this out and that's why she didn't get a glass case or something like that take her guys Dave Yes, you're right, Dave. We should have mentioned that it was Stephanie Brown. Sorry about that. P.S. I'm very behind on Castle, and as most of my emails have a P.S. with Castle being mentioned, I thought I'd bring it up. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, this season of Castle was great. Can't go wrong. Uh, our next email is then titled Podcast Daredevil. Uh, it's from Sea Mushy Land. I don't think that's a real <laughs> name. It could be Sheamus. Sheamus. I can never say that name, Sheamus. Mr. Seamus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hello, Mighty Leylands. Hello, Seamus. If he never listens again, just because you butchered his name. I am very, very sorry. <laughs> Let me just scroll to the bottom of the email. Has he put his name at the bottom of the email? Anyway. Yes, Shay Highland. Hello, Shay. I do apologise for calling you Seamushy and Seamus, neither of which are your name. I'm very, very, very sorry. <laughs> Hello, Mighty Leylands. Hello. Shay, I'm one of your listeners from across the sea. Oh dear. If Americans consider the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean a pond, what does that make the Irish Sea of Puddle? So not only have I got his name wrong, he's Irish, so he can hate me for my bad Irish accents as well. <laughs> it's not going well, no, is it? Let's start again. Hello, Shay. Forget all that where I screwed up your name. And forget all the times I've done a terrible Irish accent. I'm what, uh, anyway, I felt compelled to type, as you've just covered my favourite Marvel character, Daredevil, and are about to cover my favourite DC character, Nightwing. I am much the same age as Andrew and was introduced to Daredevil in the old Marvel UK reprints that were mostly black and white but with a tinge of green. I have no idea what that type of colouring was called, maybe Michael knows. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Do you not remember that? Where they used to have, it was black and white but they'd have odd pages that were coloured like with one colour. Like red or green or something. And you were like, what is the point? Just leave it black and white. My DD collection in those days was spotty, she continues, as sometimes they were not in stock in the newsagents. And most times I didn't have enough pocket money because back then it was Joseph Daredevil or Spider-Man or the X-Men. Daredevil invariably lost out. One of my defining memories of the era was Foggy chasing Karen. I have no recollection of them ever going on a date, kissing, or Karen showing the slightest interest in Foggy, but he had a diamond ring in his pocket ready to propose. My eight-year-old self didn't know much about women back then, as opposed to now, when I know I know nothing about women. <laughs> but I couldn't believe that getting a wife was as easy as being first to them with an engagement ring. Was this how things worked in the 60s? What the hell was Stan on back in those days? 
brilliant. My love for Daredevil began with the Marvel 80s reprints with The Daredevils, which was black and white reprints of Frank Miller's Daredevil run, which looked gorgeous, and other Marvel characters. When I eventually got the original issues in colour, I was disappointed, as it didn't maintain the drama that black and white rendering did. Only my opinion, of course. No, it's correct. I loved the Daredevils. I still have that Daredevils badge on this shelf here somewhere, because mm. it's worthy republished. And Miller's work looks magnificent in black and white. Neil Adams looks better in black and white as well. Yeah. I still maintain to this day the best way to read Neil Adams' Batman stuff is in the black and white British reprint. I really do. Um, Shay continues, I reread Yellow before listening to the podcast and I have to agree with you. I loved the art. Foggy's pursuit of Karen always reminded me of the sexual harassment video in The Simpsons. <laughs> And it was great to see Matt actually having fun for a change. It wouldn't surprise me if Matt Wade's current room was heavily influenced by this. In relation to the comparison of the death of Gwen Stacy and the death of Karen Page, Gwen's death was a seminal moment in comics, the first time a hero failed to save somebody close to them, and it has been called the end of the Silver Age. Karen, on the other hand, wasn't even Matt's first girlfriend to die. Electra, stabbed, Heather Glenn, hung, suicide, Gloriana O'Brien, sure thrown off a roof. Karen also happened to die when there really wasn't all that many people reading Daredevil. In general, we tend to look back on our first love with rose-tinted glasses due to lack of experience. This is not something Matt can do with Karen. <laughs> no pun intended. In closing, from this rambling email, I just want to say thanks for the podcast. You're very welcome. I listen when I'm coming home from a 12-hour night shift at 7am. As I have an hour's drive and as morning radio sucks, it's important to me to have something that engages me to prevent me from coming another statistic. Oh, bloody smear. <laughs> the best Shay Highland <laughs> thank you very much we thoroughly enjoyed that I do apologise for getting your name wrong at the beginning uh, another quick break and then we'll be back with our pick of indie books and then a couple more emails before we wrap up the show for this week mm-hmm. yeah, 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 play it come on play it loud play it loud and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant, and transpire out freak! Two! Along the circus, <laughs> right next to the dog faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth nine thousand three hundred and eighty-eight dollars. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, Peyton. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God, then, lucky he didn't kill her. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, you! I say shut up! It's okay! 
Freaks.com. I'll say it. Go on, then. And we're back. The huge surprise to me has been how many independent comics we've been picking up. Truly, if you're not digging Marvel or DC, there are some truly scrumptious comics being published by the main indie publishers, Dark Horse, Dynamite, IDW, and, and I'm really surprised by this, especially Image. Starting with Dark Horse, Brian Wood's Star Wars comic is a good read every month. It doesn't have the same anything-goes feel that the Marvel title, set in the same era between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, did, and sometimes the characters can seem a little off. But it's been a good ride, and more importantly feels like Star Wars, more so than a lot of the glut of Star Wars comics out there. Buffy and Angel have been up and down this year, and I have to be honest, I doubt I'll be reading season 10. Really? Yeah, I don't think I'll bother with season 10. Have you had any... You don't really read any Dark Horse books, do you? Um, no. Okay. You don't really read Star Wars? Uh, I've read the first story arc, that's it. Right. You like it? I don't know. I enjoyed it, but it didn't make me want to carry on. Uh, see, I've been really digging it. IDW makes some great artist editions that I can't afford, and the bringing back the Treasury edition was an inspired idea. Dave Stevens' Rocketeer looks magnificent in the treasury format and kudos to IDW for keeping them reasonably priced they're only about 7 quid Yeah, those treasury editions and some of them are really good I'd have bought the Danger Girl ones if we didn't have the Danger Girl collected trade paperback you have the Rocketeer one don't you yeah I bought the Rocketeer one I want the Doctor Who one with the Dave Gibbons out but I've not bought it yet and they did a John Byrne Star Trek one as well that looks quite good Mm. but I applaud them for bringing back the treasury editions Dynamite continue to be the home of every single licensed product known to man, <laughs> but the latest in continuation of the 70s version of Battlestar Galactica has been hugely enjoyable for long-time Galactic fans, such as myself. They dropped the ball with the Bionic Man, though, turning the series into a greatest hits package rather than exploring the character in his world. Ooh, look, it's the Bionic Woman. Now it's Bigfoot. Now it's Death Probe. Now it's the Fembots. They only need to do the $7 million man and they've covered it all. Uh, the Boys recently concluded, and that was a, a solid read. Not Garth Ennis' best work, I don't think. Nowhere near as good as Preacher. Yeah. Because I think the problem with The Boys is whilst it works as a political satire, there's an awful lot of comic book satire in it as well that you're not going to get if you're not a comic book reader. Mm. So I don't think it would work as as well as Preacher does to just give to somebody and say, read this, comics are great. I never really dug on the boys. It was you, you fine. Like I, it, I was reading it, but I was very bitter afterwards. You never liked it. No. Which is fair enough. There is an awful lot of piss takery in it. Yeah. There is an awful lot of, you're really stupid reading superhero but comics. I can't read and enjoy that Garth Ennis. Can you not? No. I'm fine when he's being Have you read Garth his Punisher? Ennis. Yeah. Read all his Punisher run. Right, okay. His Punisher runs brilliant. Because I'm fine he's being Garth Ennis, but then when he's being Garth Ennis... Yeah. I get what you're saying, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't think The Boys is his best work. I was reading it concurrently with his Punisher Max stuff, which I'd never finished. <laughs> that mustn't have made it any better, then. I know, because his Punisher Max stuff is really good. Yeah. It's really, really worth reading. However, Image have been king of the indie. The Walking Dead and Invincible continue to be good entertaining reads. Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples continue to make Saga truly great, although I can imagine people will now start complaining that it doesn't live up to the hype. Ed Brubaker's Fatal is decent crime noir meets Lovecraft, not perhaps as good as Criminal, but entertaining all the same, and it bodes well for his new title, Velvet, which I'm greatly looking forward to. They had a preview of that with Steve Epting's art in the most recent Fatal. It looks really good. 
Greg Rucker's Lazarus is a neat little sci-fi book worth checking out. And Matt Fraction and Howard Chaikin's Satellite Sam is a book that I'm very much enjoying that doesn't seem to be getting as much noise as Velvet or Serg. Fraction's also got Sex Criminals coming out from Image yeah. in the next couple of weeks, and that looks quite good as well. Uh, we've already mentioned I've got Punk Rock Jesus, but I've not read it yet. Which was, was that a Vertigo book? Yeah. Not an indie book? Um, I'm sure there's another one that I've not checked out. Anyway, the, so the image stuff has a lot worth going for. Mm-hmm. You any indie books worth picking? Um, I'm enjoying the uh, IDW Godzilla stuff whenever mm. we get them. Yeah, you're really liking the Godzilla things. Yeah. Um, from Image, I, I, Image is the only really indie company I read from. Hmm. Uh, since I don't read Dynamite anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I really like Saga. Saga's great. When it's out. Well, see, now you're saying that, but they do six issues and they have a break. And they do six issues and they have a break. It's a six-month break. I don't mind that. No, it's not It's not quite that long. I think the longest they've took is three months. Is it? I personally, I don't mind that if it keeps the regular creative team on the book. I'm pretty sure it's been six months to the last time. Is it? I, don't, I mean, I suppose he could do something like an annual or a special with a different artist, like Preacher. Yeah. Like Garth Ennis did with different artists. I don't do think the the reasons why they have such a big break is a little bit. It's Fiona Staples needs time to catch up, isn't it? I, I guess, but they're doing. And he's currently doing a TV show. Brian K. Vaughan's currently working on Under the Dome. But he did say it was for Fiona Staples. That's fair. Enough. The thing they're doing is there's six issues and then a six month break and then six issues just so that you can catch up on the artwork. Yet a lot of other artists can manage getting an issue out every month so do you think that kills the momentum yeah or do you think that just drives people to pick up the trade paperback it's better when the the way they're doing it with the telling the full story or a six issue story arc and mm. then stop him but it does stop it if, right. uh, as in a monthly read right but see I, don't, I would argue they're not targeting Saga at the monthly readers Yes, we get a nice big letters page at the end that is targeted purely at the people who read the comic monthly, yeah. just like uh, Fatal does. Yeah, and I wish some of the others would do that to entice you to buy the monthly comic. Yeah, but I think Saga's probably doing its best work in trades. Mm. And if you're only getting a trade paperback every single year or so, I think that probably helps the casual buyer because there's not as much of it. But then you, you, you're getting rid of yeah, your, your monthly main, income uh, yeah hmm. I don't know I, it's not bothering me so much in the at least because it's keeping Fiona Staples regular like all brand yeah <laughs> I guess yeah um, I'm, I'm enjoying I like the uh, Brubaka verse but what Fatal and I, ha- criminal I, ha- I haven't read Fatal yet because I was going to wait for all of it yeah to it was out, originally but, supposed to be yeah. 16 issues and he's decided to carry it on hasn't he yeah so, alright uh, Damn Questions is the title of the next email. It's from Damien Lee. Evening cross-generational comics readers. Hello, Damien. Damn, damn, and thrice damn. I started listening to your Daredevil Yellow episode as I was waiting to have reread it, which I did tonight, and heard you say I only had a week to send you questions. Bugger. I hope you can find it in your heart to answer mine anyway. Oh, go on then. <laughs> we'll do it for you. Especially as the cut-off date was my birthday when the family and I were in London. Why does that matter? I don't know. Heartstrings? Well, I hope you had a good <laughs> birthday. Given I've missed the deadline, I'll only ask one double barrel question. What Transformers comics have you read and which are your favourites? Thanks in advance and I'm hoping to follow us with a proper email about Daredevil Yellow and Steranko. I've read sod all Nightwing, so I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> don't stop us. Nope. Cheers, fellas, Damien Lee. Uh, the only Transformers comics I've read was when I was a kid, I read some Transformers stuff that I think it was Simon Furman wrote. Transformers and Zoids, I think it was. Um, 
and that's it. The only Transformers stuff I've read was a free comic day one from free years comic ago. Free Transformers comic. Yeah. So we've not read any of no. the ads. So our favourites would yeah. be the ones that we read. I used that comic to back some of my school books. You did. Seven. So you could read comics when you were supposed to yeah. be at work. Sorry about that, David, but we've never read a lot of Transformers. Nightwing Year One is the title of the next email. You knew this was coming, didn't you? It's from Tom Panarese. Hello, Tom. Hello, Leylands. As usual, I am writing to congratulate you on another superb job in covering a character in comics that I love, in this case, Nightwing Year One, which is a storyline I don't think I actually read when it was first published, and only picked it up digitally a couple of years ago when I was in the middle of rereading the Judas Contract and wanted to see how the post-crisis, post-zero origin of Dick Grayson's transition from Robin to Nightwing fit into that particular story. More on that later. In the, it doesn't. <laughs> That was pithy. I think we can make it fit, can't we? I've always been grateful that both Robin and Nightwing were written by Chuck Dixon for so long, as he had both respect for each character and a really good grasp of how action works in a comic book story. Most of the stories I have read, at least when it comes to his Batman work, seem to be well-paced and both are rich in action and character. I know that Dixon cut his teeth on Moon Knight and The Punisher in the late 80s and early 90s, but I don't know if I've read much of that. I have the issues he wrote of the Nam and will eventually get to them as part of my podcast In Country, which is very good. Listen to it. So I can't tell you if it's the right combination of creator and character or what. Not that it matters. Dixon on Robin and Nightwing is gold. Now, as for the series itself, I've always been bothered by the fact that after Crisis on Infinite Earth, Dick Grayson didn't grow out of or quit being Robin. He was fired. But Dixon seems to portray this with a lighter touch than Max Allen Collins did back in 1986 when he wrote the firing of Dick Grayson after he's getting shot by the Joker along with Jason Todd stealing the tyres off the Batmobile. Back then it seemed that we were supposed to believe that Dick was let go from his role and just became Nightwing like he'd always had, yet with more angst about his relationship with his mentor, something Marv Wolfman explored very well in Year 3, A Lonely Place of Dying and Nightwing's Adventures with the New Titans. Dixon gave us Robin's long period of soul-searching post-fire in a way that works very well in the context of the early 2000s Batman comics, as well as the post-zero hour DCU. And because he's so good at the characterization, I can accept this as the definitive origin of Nightwing, or at least a companion to the Judas Contract. He knows how to write a teenager going through a personal crisis, and who has a father figure who is a complete tool. Furthermore, he really writes the supporting cast and guest stars very well. Alfred is written extremely well, and his relationship with Dick was one of the best additions to the Robin Nightwing mythos since the character was rebooted in the crisis, and I love how it's used here. Dixon keeps the post-crisis Superman influence in the name of Nightwing, but adds the nice little twist of the acrobat's costume, as well as Alfred making him a costume because he is much as son to him as Bruce is. Speaking of Superman, the Superman guest appearance could have been very ham-handed. However, Dixon not only gives us a great Lois and Clark, he gives us a great action sequence. By the way, one of my students explained that he loves Dark Knight Rises, because the entire plot of the movie boils down to some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> But it's a bloody long way just to get to that joke, isn't it? Yeah. It's two and a half hours. The best Only bits are watching one. Anne Hathaway slinking around in a Catwoman outfit. If Batwoman... If Batwoman... If Batman is dad being disconnected, cold, and a bit of a tool, Superman is Robin's cool, understanding uncle who will take him to a ball game or something because, well, Batman's a tool... So this email is already very long, but I have tried to shoehorn these issues into the events of the Judas Contract. 
I'm thinking that when Dick mentions Brother Blood in part one, this is taking place after the opening of New Teen Titans issue 39, when the Titans raid on Brother Blood's stronghold, because at the time, Dick is still in his Robin costume. And then by the end of the issue, he's stripped off the Robin costume, and that means that part two of Nightwing year one takes place after New Teen Titans 39. As for the rest of the series, you can place it at any time during the next few issues of New Teen Titans, Tales of the Teen Titans, as long as it is before Tales of the Teen Titans 33, which opens with Deathstroke trying to capture Dick Grayson. We're not sure how much time has passed between New Titans 39 and Tales 43, so it's very possible that most of Nightwing Year One takes place before this day. So there you go. Yeah, that fits. Mm-hmm. That fits very well. You're nodding, but you don't know. <laughs> well, you've read Judas Contract. Yeah. Which, uh, and I'm considering, actually, one of the things I was going to put in the book underneath Viltramite War was Teen Titans, because I would love to do the Blackfire stuff where um, Starfire first met her sister. That was great comics. Very old school. Okay. You know, in that way that 1980 is now apparently old school. Oh, yeah. If you listen to Radio 1. Uh, Tom continues, one other continuity nitpick. On the very last page of the last issue, the Titans are obviously fighting, fighting sorry, the Hive. This makes sense, because right after the events of the Judas Contract, they went after the Hive and eliminated them for good. However, the costumes shown here are the B costumes of the second version of the Hive, which was started during the Devon Grayson-penned Titan series. The Hive, during the early 80s, wore purple robes. Wibbly-wobbly timey wimey Tom. One criticism of the story as a whole was Corey. We barely get a mention of her in any of the series, and considering that she and Dick were already sleeping together and would move in together, you'd think she would have gotten some screen time. Instead, we get a lot of retconning with a budding relationship between Dick and Barbara Gordon, which isn't bad. It's not Nightwing Annual 2 by any means, but that really bugged me. Oh, now he's made me want to pick up Nightwing Annual 2 now. Oh, hi. Because I want to know what happened there, because that is a very good point, and I'm, I'm, I'm kicking myself there for not picking up on that, where Corey was. Because Corey was his long-standing girlfriend yeah. throughout that entire run of Teen Titans. And they even they got married, didn't they? I'm not sure. No, they got engaged, they never yeah. actually got married. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, when the, the Teen Titans cartoon. Yeah, Teen what, Titans Go. Yeah, yeah. Well, watching that, and then you watch the movie's like, you know, they're sleeping together in the comics. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, in okay. Teen Titans Go, they're only about 12, aren't <laughs> yeah. they? So, the different continuity. <laughs> They're not sleeping together in two times, go, because that would be wrong. And Joe Straczynski's not writing it. Anyway, I have prattled on long enough, says Tom. Can't get past with that since past reference, can we? Mm-hmm. Thanks again for a great episode. I can't wait to see what you guys have planned next. Thank you. All the best, Tom Panneries. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. Um, whenever we do something that somebody else is specialising in, like when we do Superman, and I know Mike listens, and when we do Nightwing, and I know you listen, there's always that little bit of added... Um, terror, yeah, pressure that they're gonna email and say this was crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but I'll be honest, when you're doing a lot of it, if you're doing Iron Man, like it's with Luke, you you got to go. Let's not mess it up because Luke will pick us up. Yeah, and a lot of the times, you know, we don't profess to be perfect, but as long as people enjoy it, even with the mistakes, mm-hmm. then we're happy. Elevator pitch is our next email from Sphinx Magoo. Greetings, esteemed gentlemen. Why esteemed? Well, because you regularly discuss comics as father and son in a friendly and civil manner with plenty of good humour and cheer. Most of the time, anyway. <laughs> I like being esteemed. I like being esteemed, yeah. This has earned you both my esteem because of that sort of familiar manner which is made for good radio when I was growing up and for fun podcasting. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. 
It's that sort of good-natured chat that I imagine I engage in with my oldest daughter. She just turned 17 and has a wide variety of interests, including comics. She was introduced to comics via TV, like I was, whereas I was introduced to them after watching the 60s Batman show, the Filmation DC cartoons, and the 60s Spider-Man cartoon. She was introduced to comics after watching the Teen Titans series, the Powerpuff Girls, and Static Shock. Later on, she'd watch the many Batman animated series in Justice League. It was interesting to see how her perceptions of the many characters were shaped by the depictions in those shows. Her impressions were so strong that while she enjoyed the cartoon tie-in comics, she had a rough time scrolling scrolling down. down. (laughs) She had a rough time transitioning to the regular comics, especially with their art styles and gritty violence. Well, recently we were chatting about Man of Steel, which we both haven't seen yet, and Warner Brothers continued analysis paralysis over which properties to adapt next. We went back and forth, and I suggested that if the Batman series was such a hit, maybe the next property to adapt ought to be Nightwing. Well, after Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, but not with him. (laughs) Not with... What was his name? Robin. (sighs) This caught her attention. I then went through a list of possible ideas all taken from the Nightwing series written by Chuck Dixon. My elevator pitch was Dick Grayson outgrows his Robin outfit and sets himself up as a new city as its protector. I suggested how Batman might not show up on camera, or how he might only show up on the phone or via view screen, and how Dick might chat more with Alfred. I talked about possible villains going for some of the more pulpish ones like Blockbuster or transplanting the Gorilla Boss to Nightwing's new home, just to give it a more fun comic book feel. Although you, DC's not going to do that then, as a film. Fun comic boot feel. I talked about Dick would be a lower tech than Batman because he'd have less resources and he might have a motorcycle for possible car chases. I think I had a nerve because she got pretty jazzed about the idea. Without trying to brag, I think adapting Nightwing is an obvious and natural idea. Safer than a possible Batgirl or Batwoman film by Hollywood standards, it expands the Batman franchise but treads on ground closer to the Mission Impossible, James Bond or Bourne films. At one time, it might have been easy to imagine Dick Grayson portrayed by a young Tom Cruise. The concept of a thriller-based film featuring Nightwing might be easier for Hollywood to wrap its head around than the superhero formula they're still coming to grips with. So when I heard you remind us all how Dan DiDio seems to have it out for Nightwing, I felt moved enough to write this long note. I didn't want to jump in the Dan DiDio's ruining DC Comics bandwagon because I sincerely believe he's trying his best with what he thinks might work. He's in an unenviable position of trying to please his bosses at Warner Brothers and the many DC fans out there all across the world. Still, I have to wonder if perhaps Grant Morrison did the franchise some good for Nightwing by offering up Damian Wayne as a sacrifice. By planting the bullseye on Damian, it might have brought Dick some time perhaps even for a movie deal to be struck. In my dreamy dreams of somehow being a positive influence on the world of comic fandom and the world around me, I hope perhaps by getting this idea out onto the internet ether, it might make its way to someone of influence to help make this happen. Thank you for the fine podcast, Sincerely Sphinx Magoo. There's a couple of things in that. One, that's an excellent idea. Yeah. Nightwing as a Jason Bourne-esque gritty movie, I think could work very well. The problem with it is... They would have to have done a Batman film that had Nightwing in it to begin with. I was just thinking And they steered clear of any of that, because it was all about the realism of Batman. Okay, so just by snapping a vertebrae back into place, his back's healed. This is realistic Batman, is it? But Maybe if they had a film set a few years after Dark Knight Rises, with a different actor and... Yeah, where he he adopts Dick Grayson and he just goes straight into being Nightwing at 15 or 16. Something happens and he needs to be Batman or... And then he goes to the circus and, oh, look, Dick Grayson. It's an excellent idea, and if they'd planted it throughout the Batman franchise, like if he'd adopted Dick Grayson in Dark Knight, yeah. and then by Dark Knight Rises, when he's out of commission, 
having become Nightwing still running around the no man's land that was Gotham yeah and then you could spin Nightwing off into his own series in fact that would have been a better third film mm. I think but it's an excellent idea I, I approve of it uh, the other thing with that is getting it out into the internet as someone of influence that implies people of influence listen to this show yeah which I sincerely doubt I can't imagine Dan Didier listens to us. Jim Lee listens to us when he's drawing. Does he? he does, does Jim Lee listen to the show? He does, yeah. oh, Scott Snyder does as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he targets Batman. <laughs> Excellent. Your, your youth, your me, is the, who he's writing Batman for. The main demographic of Batman. Excellent, yeah. good. And he's doing a great job with that, because yeah. Batman's not been this good in comics for years. If you're not Andrew Leyland, then you won't enjoy Batman as much. That's fair enough. That one sale. Yeah. That's why that book's $5, isn't it? Because yeah. there's only me buying it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, that's it for the email section. We've managed to catch up with a huge chunk of them. There's still a couple, but they're by people that we had emails from this week, and we don't do emails from two separate people, from the same people within the same show, if that makes any sense. Uh, We want to thank everyone who did email in. Uh, They were all good then. Mm -hmm. Good ideas. I'm glad we did that. Got got, uh, some talking points out of them. Continue to do so. Always nice to hear from people. You can email us if you don't want to be on the show. You can always say, don't read this one. But I don't see the point of that. Surely part of the fun is hearing your name. Yeah. And us stumbling over your name. <laughs> messing it up completely. <laughs> uh, next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, Spider-Man, the cosmic superhero. Part of the Acts of Vengeance. A two-part Hey Kids Comics event. Are we doing Acts of Vengeance? No, we're just doing the Spider-Man stuff. We're not doing Acts of Vengeance. Because I don't have them. Get the omnibus. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The two omnibuses. two omnibuses for Acts of Vengeance. Isn't that a little bit overkill? (laughs) Two omnibuses for Acts of Vengeance? Maybe. Maybe it's just enough kill. Anyway. Okie dokie. Thank you very much for joining us. And we will be back next week with Cosmic Spider-Man. See you later. Bye-bye. sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only and no infringement is intended so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. 
We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.